out with the new, in with the old, welcome to the Seasoned Podcast. This is the first episode, welcome. Today's special guest, none other than my father, Mr. Vitsa Hoekstra. Vitsa is an accomplished pianist, composer, and piano tuner and technician. He's got a wealth of knowledge and is a great uh, fountain of information all about music and especially pianos. So I'm delighted to, to be sitting on the couch with him and asking him to, to draw out some themes of old, deep technologies and ideas with this, this theme of the seasoned. So welcome, Vitor. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> Good to be chatting, as we always do, only this time yeah. recording. Yeah. I guess I want to ask initially about pianos and the history of them. Because we've got now electronic pianos, and I know we had harpsichords at one point. Do you know a lot of this history of how the instruments developed and evolved? Yeah, yeah, that's very much part of our profession, the, the, the technical solutions that piano technicians before us had to come up with to, to make the piano what it is today. So we, as techs, we tend to have a lot of respect for the, our predecessors. We stand on the shoulders of, of some giants, and, and one of those giants uh, is actually the inventor of the of the piano and his name is Cristofori and uh, he um, he found a solution to a problem that had been bugging uh, instrument builders for many years and that was how to get loud and soft on a keyboard instrument Mm-hmm. It was easy on a violin or with a voice. Everybody could go loud and soft with keyboard instruments because of the, the, the plucking of the harpsichord. They could only get one volume. So they, they had pedals and registers and tricks, but you couldn't have an expressive swelling or, or decreasing of, of volume. And so you needed those dynamics. And Christopher found a way to do it. And uh, without going into detail, it's, it's, a, it's a type of escapement so that the hammer doesn't block against the string. So his escapement made it possible. And suddenly, he was a keyboard instrument that all keyboard players loved because they could now express themselves. And uh, it, Christopher he named the instrument, naturally enough, piano forte, which means soft and loud, because this instrument could play loud and soft and loud. So the early instruments were called mm-hmm. piano fortes. And then later they were called forte pianos and etc. But now we're just called a piano. Right. Yeah. So from the name piano or piano forte, it sounds Italian. And which was he Italian? In which period did this transition happen? He was Italian, and his invention was, was made in the year 1700, 1699-1700. Uh, so that places him well before Johann Sebastian Bach, who was still writing for harpsichords as well. So it, it, took, it took almost a century for the, the modern piano, if you like, to, to begin to replace the, the old harpsichord. Mm-hmm. And of course, even to this day, harpsichords still exist, and they're still enjoyed. But uh, the dynamics of the harpsichord are not uh, are not as good as the piano, so the piano has has taken over. Right. Then, that's three hundred years of the piano, and it still hasn't completely uh, um, replaced the harpsichord. No. But now we have alternatives like uh, electronic keyboards and 
all kinds of variations on this. Do you see the piano getting replaced? It's had 300 years, maybe it's time is up. <laughs> yeah. what's, what's your feeling on this? Yeah, yeah, the death of the piano as an instrument has been, has been signaled or uh, uh, predicted many times, but it just doesn't happen. And even, even in our lifetime, uh, when uh, the radio first came in, Mm. Uh, that was going to be the end of the piano or the gramophone and then it was the the television oh no people had better things to do now than play the piano they want to watch tv so and 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 then the electronic organ oh no that was much better in the piano and and in more recent years uh, of course things like synthesizers and uh, and then digital pianos which is a subject all of its own were supposed to replace acoustic pianos while well, they haven't and um and more recently ipads and people have little keyboards on even on their ipads and tap mm -hmm. away but but nothing has really succeeded in pushing the piano off its throne because it is it is such a an accomplished instrument for a musician it has a huge dynamic range it has a huge uh, dynamic range means it can play very very loud but also very quietly not every instrument can do that. You can put it on a concert stage and overshadow an entire orchestra. Mm. You know, that, that takes some design. So the design perfection and its musical expressiveness have, have made it secure. And and um, let's let's have a look at the, the home. No, no, on the concert stage, there's no argument. But in the home, you could say, okay, you know, electronic organs or digital pianos, why not? But it, it's still there's still a belief out there that digital pianos are the future. They're replacing acoustic pianos. But in our piano shop and in our work, we see the opposite. Digital pianos are already belonging to the past. The yes. wave, the enthusiasm for them is, is waning. And music teachers are recommending against digital pianos. Mm. Uh, and... We see it all the time as piano tuners. They might have this horrible 80-year-old piano sitting in the corner of the room with half the keys not playing. And of course, they've got to buy some sort of keyboard or even a fancy digital piano, put it next to that piano. And after three days, the children are back on the old piano with broken hammers ah. and strings. And the, and the keyboard collects rust and is worth nothing after a few years. So... so they are not a threat. Yeah, they seem to be fads. I, I love the sound of those synthesizers from the 60s and 70s. Uh, the Rhodes, Fender Rhodes. Fender Rhodes. Gorgeous sound. And the, the 80s pop guitars. Yeah. Synthesizers. Yeah. They're all fun, but they don't seem to have stood the test of time like the piano has. No. And I'm, I'm impressed that your shop, which is just full of pianos, I mm. don't know. How many you have there? Oh, 65. 65 uh, pianos. 65, yes. And counting, and you don't have any keyboards or any other instruments. Like, no. Nope. There's enough demand here for that. Yeah, we, we are, there are plenty of other piano shops that that like doing digital pianos, and they, they still sell them. But uh, now for us, it's like the, the piano teachers don't like them, and even the customers don't like them all that much. So we, we just do the real thing. Cool. Well, uh, if I can pivot now from pianos to music in general. Oh. Uh, as a sort of traditionalist, I like looking at old styles, old genres of music. Because in popular music, we have these fads, like 
like just sort of referred to the 60s and 70s of some psychedelic styles and 80s um I don't what you call that, 80s pop music. Yeah, it, disco and whatnot. Yeah, all, all these fads, and they're all got their thing. But some some things seem to really stand the test of time in music. So there's instruments, like the piano. And then there's whole genres. And I know that you've explored several genres <laughs> during your life, and which are deep, ancient traditions, and you've explored them with depth. Would you mind mentioning that a bit? Yeah. Yes, I, for me the, the the split is really in um, the split between what what works musically and what doesn't seem to last so well or work so well musically is is how beautiful it is to listen to. Mm-hmm. And um, music doesn't have to be complex to be beautiful and attractive to people. And it doesn't need a lot of technology behind it, uh, except with the exception of, of beautifully designed and built musical instruments, which is high tech. But I mean, in terms of you know fancy equipment and modern equipment, you don't need a lot. Uh, you need a fine musician and a fine instrument, and and that can create beauty. And the. the one of the tragic things that happened in the in the twentieth century was that the beauty of music became seen as passe. Mm. Uh, now we don't really you know, we want cutting edge music and we want something different and new and innovation. It's like uh, avant garde or sort of postmodern ideas of anything can be music, anything can be art. Very much so. That that idea. So conceptual music, but but even earlier, like in from about 1910, 1920 on, um, the the composers that did manage to make a name for themselves did it all out of very very strange musical or even unmusical ideas. Uh, you know, okay, we still have Stravinsky and composers like him, but since then you get things like serial music and minimalist music, and they're very conceptual. And they're a little bit try-hard in my opinion, <laughs> but okay, that's a judgment. But they're definitely conceptual and they rely on, on, on abstract ideas. And it's just not music that you put on if you wanted to relax. <laughs> no. No. Or to dance or... <laughs> and, so, yeah. and classical music reached that point through, through three, four, five centuries of, of evolution of beauty in music. And then it reached the end of that because beauty was no longer enough and then it stopped being beautiful and hey they lost their audience so you know the answer is right there nobody goes to modern uh, classical concerts uh, they, they, they will still show up for Beethoven but they don't show up for Babel or composers like him right so I think my, my kind of question I want to ask is so what is it that you think is that that elusive ingredient it sounds like you're saying it's beauty Call it beauty. It's it's it's, it's difficult. Um, but it's also timeless, and I, I think you know a shepherd in in ancient Greece playing a pretty little tune on a flute to his sheep. It's not sophisticated, but there was a certain beauty around that, and and so it can be simple. I do this thing. Um, 
for my customers sometimes who give them who beat themselves up mm. um, because they think they have to play complex stuff and it has to be difficult and they have to work on the next level and and often they might be playing on, on great instruments you know maybe an older instrument that doesn't sound so good and I say to them look the simplest things can really give you a beautiful musical experience. Can I show that on the piano? Uh, sure, please. Yeah, we're right next to a, a bluesmith piano here. <laughs> so here comes the demo. Yeah. So, you know, people just, uh, just think that you have to play like, you know, very fast, lots of notes, difficult. And I say, if you have a, if you have a beautiful instrument, So beauty hides in, in very simple settings. Love it. Mm. And yet, and yet of, across diverse mm, types of music, I guess. I'm thinking you've you've played the sitar in Indian raga genre and I have a bit, yeah. And the bandoneon and tango yeah. and piano with jazz. I'm sure American I'm missing things. I'm sure I'm missing things here. <laughs> Whole other other things I'm not aware of. But even in these quite distinct styles, perhaps there's some common threads. Do you think there, there's beauty and something something else? I, I think there's very much a common thread, and that is the, the, the relatively simple harmonies, but pretty melodies. Uh -huh. And um, even in jazz, I was never so drawn to the more complex styles of jazz, which involve lots of harmonies harmonic colors like and, and complex scales like bebop and, and so uh, so the complexities can leave me behind a bit uh, because that seemed to take away from you know, what I find myself is, is musical beauty and so tango is always very simple harmonically and the jazz I'm attracted to like European jazz or maybe slightly earlier jazz is is nice to listen to mm. but um, look in some ways, I would be regarded a philistine, of course, <laughs> because uh, you know jazz has moved on, and even tango has moved on, and maybe I'm just a bit old-fashioned. Well, I, well, so am I, and I'm your son, <laughs> the generation below, but already appreciating old-fashioned ideas. Yeah, yeah, you do, and uh, <laughs> the, the, and there's a lot that you can overlook if you uh, if you disregard uh, those older ideas. Uh, and I think classical music is very much guilty of that. There was so much beautiful music to be written, but classical composers stopped writing it, and they ended up doing the most bizarre experiments that are so unpleasant. Well, I'm not much on the history of this, but I think we had Baroque, Classical, Romantic. That's my best understanding. And Romantic was yeah. like this culmination of harmonic richness and yeah. complexity in, in all ways. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and then maybe the, after that point, where can you go? <laughs> but break it down. Yeah, there was neoclassicism, which was an attempt to go back to the classical period. But yeah, in the 1920s, it's, 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 it loses its way in, in, in experiments. And uh, I don't think classical music has really ever really recovered. And uh, the music I tend to listen to is, is a style called European jazz, which is, is, is the music that uh, it sounds like Chopin. It's some, you know, if it's on the piano, it's it's it could be Chopin, but when he's improvising, not when he's writing things down. So improvised Chopin, but that's how we see our our trio music, the H. Gage trio form of improvised classical music. Lovely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, since you you played a little and it was so lovely, would you be open to? playing a little more and perhaps sharing what you mean by European jazz with the simple harmony, the beautiful melody. Yeah, yeah. It's kind play, of genre. Play a piece. Uh, my apologize beforehand, my apologies beforehand for the piano, which is not perfectly in tune. And the reason for that is very simple. One thing I refuse to do when I come home from work is go tuning because I do that for a living. So the piano is slightly off, but it's all right. So yes. <laughs> Sounds good to me. This is a piece called Rue de la Main. Here we go. Rue de la Main. And I believe this is named after a certain Rue Street in France. In France, in Janak in France, yes. Okay, we'll leave it there. Right. Until next time on the Season Podcast. Talk soon. Bye.